Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about the importance of job autopsies with the help of special guest Chris Beck of Normandy Remodeling in Hinsdale, Illinois. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hi everyone, I'm Tim Fowler and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Recently, I've just been reminding people that we love to hear from anyone who has an idea about a topic that they'd like to have on this podcast. I've received a couple of things from individuals already, and so we'll be working to put those on the show. Uh, I really would appreciate anybody that has ideas. Send them in, and we'll track down a guest. Or if you have a guest that you think would be great to have on here, send that in to me. We'll track them down, and we'll try to get them on the show. So in another show, we had a great conversation with Judith Miller, who is known all over the country as the guru of QuickBooks, uh, certainly fantastic working with a company, trying to sort out the numbers and trying to understand like what numbers are important and those kinds of things. And one of the comments she made kind of in passing, and we didn't focus on it very much, but it but she made a comment about when companies do a debrief or when companies do an autopsy, um, they use those conversations to actually make changes. And I quick wrote down on my notepad, we got to do a podcast on that. So that's why we're we're here. And so it went by, uh, but I, I said, that's something that we really need to look at in the future. So the numbers can tell us everything we need to know if we really use them. Now, my experience working with companies is that some companies use the autopsy as a club. They'll bring in a project manager, they'll bring in a lead carpenter, and they'll in effect say, how come you didn't hit the budget? That's, that's basically the tenor of the autopsy. Then there's some other companies where, and this is kind of a hopefully a little tongue-in-cheek here, but the owner sits in a dark office and broods over the numbers, doesn't share them with anybody, doesn't talk with anybody, and and he just broods about how he never makes any money and uh, why does he even try and who are these flunkies I have out in the field? They don't care. All these kind of negative thoughts. And then he comes out and tries to be happy. And guess what? It doesn't work. And then in some other companies, people are actually using these autopsies to actually make progress and make things uh, important. So one thing's for sure, if we wait till the end of the job to review numbers, it's too late. And so we can't get these things worked out. But the question becomes, how do you do this? How do you do it effectively? How do you make it work? And so uh, we're going to be focusing on it a little bit here. We're going to be talking with a company today where they have 
basically just started this process with the production team and hopefully we're going to get some insights for any of you out there that have never done it how do you get it started how do you make it work and then i think later on on another podcast we'll have a company on who's been doing it for years and maybe how did they get it perfected how did they get it working where it really is effective so i kind of see a series going on here now, as we were prepping for this, we were joking about, like, what do you call this? You know, some people call it an autopsy. Some people call it a post-mortem. I kind of like the term debrief, but our guest uses autopsy, so that's where we're going to be uh, going with this. So, Steve, as you're thinking about this, what do, what do you see? What are your some insights for, for this? Well, I, just, I think, you know, if you look at the financial side and how important a budget is. I think that the job autopsies in production are equally as important because look at all of the data that you can pull from a job autopsy in terms of historical data, just being able to estimate better, being able to produce work better. But, you know, it is difficult, you know, especially a smaller company if they're wearing a lot of hats of, you know, you just got done a project if it was successful or it was challenging, it's it's really hard to then, you know, find this new process of going back and looking at all this information when, when the train is still going down the tracks <laughs> with all right. these other projects. So it's difficult. So I'm really interested in talking to Chris. Yeah, I think this will be a great time. Yeah. Well, Chris Beck of Normandy Remodeling has been with the company for 11 and a half years. He started as a superintendent. It was promoted to production manager in April of 2015 and director of production in January of 2018. 2018 marked the fourth year in a row of record produced volume. Welcome to the show, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me, Steve and Tim. Thanks for, for letting me come on. This is fantastic. So uh, many of us know a little bit about Normandy, but not all of our listeners do. So give us a little rundown on the business. And I think alluding to what Steve uh, mentioned about time and stuff like that. Just give us an idea of how big your production department is and how many jobs you have running at one time and those kinds of things. Okay. Well, we Normandy has been in business for, this is marking our 40th year this year. Um, we're at about $27 million in produced volume. Uh, the production department has myself a production manager 13 superintendents and we run a, between 80 and 100 jobs in the field at any one time with that with those people we completed 220 jobs last year so i i think there are some people listening that are just going you have got to be kidding me uh, that this uh, this number of a hundred, maybe even if it's only eighty jobs at one time, just seems staggering. But of course, uh, with the number of superintendents you have, you can break it down to maybe it's only six or eight jobs at a time per superintendent, and that makes it become a little more realistic for us. That's correct. They, most of the guys run between six and 10 in different phases, some just getting started, some just getting finished, but most of the time six to eight is pretty accurate. Um, our average job size is about 125,000 uh, and our average timeline is about 90 days for completion. So they're, they're a little more spread out than, than some other companies. Yeah. So that, that's really good. So that's a really good snapshot. And um, so you had mentioned in our conversations previous to the podcast that 
that recently, and you can kind of give us that time frame, but the company had done these autopsies for a sales reason primarily, and that you had inserted yourself into the process so that it could be done not only for sales, but also from the production side. So why did that happen? What was your reasoning for saying, you know, I need to do this, uh, this function as well? Well, just like anything else, usually when something goes wrong, then we have to come up with a way to solve it. And last year we had quite a bit more slippage uh, in margin than we had in years previously. Okay. So I wanted to, I wanted to look into why uh, starting, you know, the, the fourth quarter of last year um, and then started developing a process where we could at the end of the job involve the production of the superintendent along with the designer and really get them together to understand exactly what happened um, and kind of use it as a, as a training for them to understand each other also. Yeah, so I'm just sitting here thinking like 30 million, if you slipped like 1%, woo, <laughs> big dollars. Exactly. We're talking about big dollars, aren't we? Exactly, yeah. We're, we, you know, we're, it's the difference. That, that 1% for us is, is huge. We can, we can go a half a percent and we're still talking hundreds of thousands. So, yeah, yeah. So there isn't, so it, it's kind of interesting that um, I, I like the motivation because I think this is a real solid reason for looking at the data is we saw some slippage. It equates to real dollars in our world. And so now I'm going to make some changes. And so what kinds of things are you looking at? I think you said you get the superintendent and the designer and yourself together. And is there someone else? And then what are you looking at in terms of the real function of that process? Well, our, our chief financial officer still does the autopsy for uh, the purpose of squaring the commissions with the with the sales designers. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I still I, I then do a separate process with the designer and the and the superintendent to really understand and pull apart what caused it. Was it a pricing problem? Is our cost book not accurate? Uh, have prices for materials risen that we weren't able to capture? Were there mistakes on the plans that weren't translated from the designer to the field that caused us to put extra work to in order to fulfill the scope of work uh, that wasn't included in the budget? Because we do a basically a, uh, a cost analysis from an estimating point after the sale is already completed. Okay. So if our estimator isn't picking things up off of the plan, then they don't get put into the, to the budget. So um, it was really a, a whole bunch of different things that I wanted to take all of that information and then direct it to where we can start making changes. If we're not pricing properly, you know, immediately give that feedback to the people who handle the cost book so we can put, so we can price jobs correctly. If there are mistakes on the plans, find out whether that was a communication problem or whether that was a scope of work, not aligning with the budget problem. Um, but I found through the past few years that the superintendents themselves were very eager to be involved in the, in the money part of it, to understand the numbers. Uh, when I was a superintendent here, I, I make the comment that I worked here for five years 
before I knew whether we actually made any money. <laughs> um, and I, I just assumed we did because they kept letting me show up. Right. Uh, but, but one time after a job, one of the designers came to me and said, hey, Chris, thanks a lot. You did a great job on that. We really did well on the on the gross profit of that job. So that kind of got me searching for how that all works. And then when we started, we found that we started sharing that information with the superintendents. They really embraced it. So I just saw the opportunity to bring the superintendent and the designer together to go over those jobs so we could get both perspectives and then use that information to direct how we make changes so we don't make the same mistake twice. There's these remodeling is is tough and everybody <laughs> works really hard at it. But if right. we don't if we don't take the opportunities with the information that we have to make the changes, then it just kind of goes by the wayside. So that's kind of why I got involved to just make it a training opportunity for, to bring both of the people together and then effectively uh, change it so we don't end up with the same problem more than once. So do you actually have an agenda for this meeting? Is there like a form that you fill out that says, let's let's ask these 10 questions or is it a little more fluid and, and uh, I don't know, spontaneous than that? Well, it's definitely more fluid because really, Tim, it's still in development from from my end of it i only started getting into this in quarter four of last year so it's it's really very fluid right now but we basically have an accounting uh program that will spit out at the end basic budget analysis of where we were up and where we were down so it's really just taking that document finding out where we did well on uh, where we didn't do well on and then breaking down why we didn't do well in those areas uh, there's not really a, a formal checklist or a, a specific list of questions that go along with the meeting. It's really based on the report that comes out of the accounting software. Okay. So I guess one of the challenges that I've seen working with a lot of companies that are, that are trying to do this is that in many, many cases, it becomes like this uh, divisive finger pointing session. In other words, we get in there and the superintendent in your case or a project manager in another case, you say, okay, why do we go over on this? And the project manager or superintendent says, well, the designer forgot to include it in the scope of work. And the designer then says, well, it's in there. It's just you guys didn't follow the whatever. How do you negotiate that? How do you work through that so that it's not a finger? I'm just... I don't want it to be a finger pointing session. I guess what I'm saying, how do you get past that? And maybe what's some advice you'd give to some companies that have tried it, but it's really just become that finger pointing thing. Well, we're lucky enough here at Normandy that we have a very good culture and a very interactive between superintendents and designers through the whole process. So we really don't, we didn't start out with a problem of the finger pointing. Okay. Um, we have we have a lot of of, of uh, let's say interactive or interdepartmental meetings with with production uh, and with sales. I attend the sales meetings um, okay. not incredibly often, but when there's training points and things that need to be made, and I'm really very intolerant of of. <laughs> of that finger pointing thing to be, I'm, I'm kind of brutal sometimes in the fact that I'll just lay it out and say, look, we're, this isn't high school and this isn't a game we're, right. you know, we're running a multi-million dollar business here and we have to take this seriously. And it's not about blaming anybody for anything. It's about getting together 
and understanding each other and understanding how we can go forward and, and be better. So uh, again, we don't, again, we don't, we don't really have a, a whole finger pointing issue here, fortunately. Uh, but when it does start to come up, I'm, I'm just pretty harsh on it, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, so is it okay if I take that phrase, not high school, not a game? <laughs> I just think that's incredible. Absolutely. It's an incredible way to uh, analyze and set this thing up. Yeah, there's, you know, we have 77 employees here um, and 200 subcontractors and all of their livelihoods depend on us doing a good job with this. If yeah. Normandy doesn't make money, if Normandy's not profitable, there's too many people that are affected. Right. Um, you know, we have we offer a five-year warranty. We have to remain profitable for all all of our customers in the past. It's just, you know, we, we have to understand these things and everybody has to embrace the fact that we need to be good at it and we can always be better at it. Yeah, so Chris, you used the word, uh, you said break down what went wrong as a purpose of these meetings. So uh, how micro can you get and what things are in place so that people are properly documenting, you know, just notes from the field so you can actually get to the real root of whatever went wrong? Well, I do a two-week look ahead and a and a budget review with every superintendent for every job every week. So we actually have uh, documented any issues that are going on before the autopsy even comes up. So quite often we will have a list of things that we need to discuss when we get to the autopsy. Mm -hmm. Um, The the two week look ahead forms that we use, those are very regimented and we do have a, a checklist that goes along with that. And it's basically, what are we doing next week? What are we doing the week after? Is the customer happy? Uh, scale of one to five, and what are our pending issues? And that, that's all written and documented. So we start out with, uh, we ordered tile wrong, or we didn't have something on the scope of work before we even get to the autopsy. So we can always fall back to, to recheck that information. And I think the the autopsy, what I want to use it for at the end is really bringing all of that information full circle and using it to go forward and make the changes. Yeah. So you're really writing a story of the project with the two week look ahead. Correct. Pretty much. That's great. Yeah. That's a fantastic uh, way to look at it. And again, one of the issues that I deal with, with contractors a lot all over the country is they're trying to remember what happened on a six month project at the end and nobody's documenting information. And that's probably one of the reasons why so much of it's finger pointing because you come to that point and you just can't remember really what happened. And we're all sort of self-preservationists. So we're not going to, you know, tell on ourselves. For sure. And I, I always tell my superintendents and, and the our sales designers too, if you have an issue we need to discuss it. Just come to me with the information that, you know, don't, don't leave me in the dark about how this happened. If you know something's happening, let's get it out there and let's talk about it right away. Cause like you said, six months down the road, it's definitely not as poignant as it can be if it's discussed right away. Correct. So I'm just kind of curious about bonuses and stuff. Do you guys pay out bonuses to your superintendents? We do. They they have a base salary, and then they get a bonus based on uh, based on sale price, and it can be increased based on completion time. If they if they beat uh, a prescribed schedule, uh, then they can actually get a little bit of a kick. Um, 
towards the end just because they they beat the schedule basically so so it is associated with gross profit no it is not oh okay that's that's it's only based on schedule the reason that we don't we've looked into doing it with gross profit but in our system the superintendents have no influence in development of the job it's basically priced and sold based on an in-house cost book by the designers and then we do an estimate off of the completed plan to make sure what we've completed is aligning with what the sales designer sold. We have a very, very robust line item cost book basically, then that's how they sell the job. So we can't find a way to tie the gross profit to the superintendent when they had no hand in developing it. Okay. Cause that, that was my, going to be my question was like, an, again, a lot of the finger pointing comes down to the idea that if it's not my fault, I still deserve my bonus on this job. Therefore, it must be somebody else's fault. So maybe you've circumnavigated that by not tying it together. Right. The The designers, though, are, are strictly commissioned. So they get a little upset when they're losing money. Um, so it is very very important to get this stuff right. And that's another reason that we, I, I wanted to use this because I want to help educate them on the field issues right. of where our cost book kind of falls short in some places. Our, our cost book is very good at your, at what I'll, what I'll call a basic job for lack of a, of a better word. Uh, but once you get into any, especially special order materials, um, materials that fluctuate a lot, stone and brick and things of that nature, it does fall short a little bit. So that's where I try and educate them on where, where the cost book is very good, where it needs some help, and then give them the opportunity to come to me pre-sale to discuss those, we'll call them anomalous situations that come up on, you know, 5% of the jobs that they don't normally price yeah, so I'm 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 sitting here wondering this, and I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering. Okay, so you do, uh, let's say there's 80 jobs going on at one time. You have 11 superintendents and um, 13 superintendents, and you meet with each one of the superintendents every week. You do these autopsies on every project. You go to sales meetings occasionally. When do you find the time? And I guess maybe, like, how did you say to yourself, this autopsy thing is important enough that I'm going to spend another hour out of every week making sure this happens or something like that? You've got to be a busy guy. Yeah, I'm, I am I am busy. And, and what I've really tried to do, the, the director of production here at Normandy is sort of a new position. We had a production manager for years. Um, we now have a production manager under me and I'm director. So I've actually been able to divest some of the field stuff where I would normally deal with much more of the actual job process and field related stuff to my production manager. And I'm able to spend a lot more time doing the things in the office, like the two week look aheads, like the autopsies, like the sales training, just because we realized it was, it was needed as we grow. Right. Um, we're, we're opening a second showroom very soon. <laughs> so we're expecting uh, a bit more growth. We're, we're plopping a showroom right down in the middle of, of an area that about 40% of our growth has come from without any physical presence in the area. It's the North right. Shore of Chicago. Right. 
Um, we're expecting to get busier and we, we realized that, you know, that we had to divest a little bit of the field stuff and the day to day to someone else, which that became the production manager uh, and allowed me to, to kind of concentrate more on the, on the training aspect and the development of the processes internally that would help us get to where we wanted to go. So uh, just in general, about how much time, if it's a $125,000 project, about how much time does this autopsy take for, for you, uh, from your, from you, from your superintendent and your sales designer? They're, they can be done in less than an hour, certainly. And a lot of them can be done in a half hour because a lot of them aren't that bad. Um, you know, like, like you said, we're, we're dealing with real numbers here strictly because of our volume, but we really do do a pretty good job on it. We're, we're really, you know, concentrating on that, that last 5%. It's real easy to get, to get to 90% good, but that last 10 and that last 5% really (laughs) requires a huge focus on it. So that's really what we're working on. We do, we do a, I'm real proud of our, my superintendents. I'm very proud of our sales staff. We, we do do a, a fantastic job. Um, this is just the, these are steps that we're putting in place to make that last three to 5% jump to, from good to excellent is really where we're at. Okay. So we've talked a lot of theory here or just, you know, the, the sort of the non nuts and bolts. Have you got any kind of examples of things that you've discovered through doing these autopsies and then if so hopefully you do (laughs) but if so like what kinds of things did you do to actually make corrections as you found them well the biggest thing that we found right away is is that fact that our our robust cost book is only robust enough to do the average job the first thing that i found was anything that we don't do every day uh, we don't price well. We we sell short on a lot of exterior things that we don't do a lot of. We our cost book was not good at really any masonry, um, especially uh, real stone uh, fireplaces, siding. It's really just identified so far where the deficiencies in the upfront pricing program. Um, what's causing what's causing those problems based on that um what i hope it's going to do once we get through that initial push of of identifying what's wrong when we price it is also start to lead us down other roads of what we can do better in the field and how the designers and the production people can come together pre-sale during the job and then talking about it after the job to get that last little bit out of it. But most of it has been the, the breakdown is the, is the cost book that is not, uh, not good at the, at the, the strange things. It's the the day-to-day stuff pretty good at. So, so I was wondering a little bit, it doesn't sound like you would have had this problem because it sounds like you have a fair amount of authority and autonomy there at Normandy but if another, say, production manager is listening in on this and he says, he or she says, you know, I, I want to do that. Um, any ideas about how to pitch it to the owner uh, of a company to actually make the transition from not doing this to actually doing it uh, from from the standpoint of, of maybe an owner being resistant to sharing all that information and, th- and that sort of thing? 
Well, you know, in my experience, the if the owner is not willing to uh, have someone who really wants to delve into this and help this process, I I, I hope I'm not. You know, <laughs> go right ahead, Chris. It's, it's okay. I think the owner has a bit of a problem. I think an <laughs> owner who would have someone that they've entrusted and they've given a responsibility to who doesn't really want to get into this and understand it very well. I think that's a little bit of an issue in and of itself. If, if an owner has the right person in place um, and, and they have that good relationship, if that production manager or director comes to them and, and identifies a process that they think would be good at, at establishing a way to ensure the gross profit and the, and the margin capabilities of the company, I think it would be, you know, the owner's uh, not good for an owner to resist that. Um, but as far as how you would do it, you know, what I did was I kind of put together the whole plan of why I wanted to do it. When I talked to Andy about it, I just said, you know, we're, we've slipped a little bit and I want to find out why. And I think the best way to find out why is to include designers, sales, CFO, cost book, uh, all of these things into this process so we can find out where the problem is. Uh, and I think anyone who goes to an owner and says that their, their motivation is to guard the gross profit and understand that the company has to be profitable and the reasons why I, I don't, I don't think any good owner would resist that. <laughs> no, I, I agree with no, you. I, and I that's, I do find people every now and then that are really resistant to sharing the data and the information. So that's a, a really good insight on your part. So we're going to wrap this up here. And uh, so I'm just wondering if there's a, a, like a last minute or a last thing that you could uh, give us on this that might help uh, our listeners maybe adopt it or get it into place, or maybe just encourage them to, to get busy on it. Well, I think the biggest thing for me is the, is the ability to use this process as an interdepartmental connection between production and sales and also a training point to help them understand, you know, that what the superintendent goes through and, and all of those things that were listed during those two week look aheads that became issues that cost money, um, helping them to understand the production process, helping the, the production guys understand what the designers do as they're pricing it. It's really about the, the interdepartmental connection and about the, the training that you can do with these numbers to move everybody forward and to keep the company profitable and move the company forward. That's my biggest thing was really wanting the, the production and sales to understand each other and understand how each thing that they do affects each other and the company and then using it to, to help us get better. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you being on with us, Chris. And uh, I think just so many good things. And as I mentioned uh, in my opening, uh, we're going to continue this topic because I think there are some companies out there that have been doing it for a few years now that are going to be able to add a little bit of insight to this. And uh, But you've got us off to an absolutely fantastic start. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And as I, you know, as I get more into it, uh, maybe, maybe we can do it again a year from now and talk about how it's helped. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. yeah, Chris, thank you so much. And we will hit you up on that. We'll definitely have you on again in the future. Thanks so much. This was great. Okay. Great. Thank you guys. Take care. Well, Tim, that was absolutely awesome.
I mean, that was, you know, it it just spelled out so many things that I wasn't expecting. And just the fact that that two week look ahead is just that perfect way of telling the story to look back at. It was just awesome. So I was working with a company a little while ago and we were talking about this uh, autopsy process. And I mentioned something about looking over the budget and analyzing the budget. And one of the team members, you know, said, hey, we do that every week. Do we have to do it again at the end of the job? <laughs> and it just it clicked with me then. Yeah. Because if it's going on, if this analyzing is going on all through the project and documenting, like you said, the story of yeah. the job, if that's going on, then that last meeting doesn't have to be a two or three hour knockdown, drag out, finger pointing, yeah. you know, experience. It can be like, hey, what is the what did we learn and what's the solution? And I think that's kind of what uh, what we need to really focus on is like, what did we learn? But also then what are we going to do about that? Yeah, it, it kind of siphons out the cloudiness and just, you know, gives you the important bullet points of ways you can improve. Yeah, and the other thing I thought was really cool, and everybody needs to know, Normandy is a great business. But here's a production guy. Now, he's the director of production, and he says to himself, I'm seeing slippage. What do we do about it? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, it wasn't the business owner that came to him and said, hey, Chris, we've got a problem. you got to do something about yeah. it. Here's, a, here's an independent who says, we got a problem what can we do about it? And he's effectively put into place a system or a process, and they're making changes from that. And I thought, I thought if nothing else, and, and again, I just want to emphasize, this guy is busy. I mean, we just we we hit just a couple of things that he was doing, yeah. and he's very modest about you know. But I'm going to tell you something. He's a busy dude, and he said, "Let me add one more thing to my plate." so that I can help the company mature and grow. And I think that was just one of the best things we got out of the whole thing. Yeah, and ultimately hoping that putting those things in place will save you time and money on the back end. Sure. I'm still trying to wrap my head around 80 to 100 jobs at a single time. <laughs> I know. That's, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, all right. Well, once again, we want to thank Chris Beck for joining us today. And as usual, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, we're helping the bottom line through production training. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast-track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.